on this edition of Money with Friends, the great retirement debate where plan sponsors and participants agree and disagree. You will be surprised at what people are saying. Plus, what if we avoided college debt by just not going? The surprising results of a new study showing a big change in attitudes towards higher education. That and so much more on today's Money with Friends. And welcome to Money with Friends. I'm certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel from the Financial Grown-Up Podcast, coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. And from Detroit, Michigan, in my mom's half-finished basement where we make the Stacking Benjamin Show, I'm Joe Salcihai. We take the headlines you want to know more about, we discuss them, we break them down, and then we give you some takeaways to live a richer life. We do it all with our friends and we wrap it all up with a big bow at the end with a really big and always profound, especially from Joe, very, very <laughs> profound, big idea. Oh, I don't know how profound it's going to be today. We will see. But today. this is profound. Investing in farmland simplified. That's very profound. Thanks to Anchor Trader for supporting Money with Friends. Uh, if you'd like to watch the explainer video or just get started, head to acretrader.com forward slash MWF for money with friends. And uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later in the show and why we like AcreTrader so much. But I also like these topics today, Bobby. We've got a couple of uh, good ones. We're going to talk about college. We're going to talk about retirement. We're going to cover the gamut. Yeah. And what I what I found interesting about both of these stories, and this is a little hint towards the big idea, but there's a lot of disagreement about these issues and what people should do and the changes that are going on in our world that create different metrics. Yeah. So with early on, without, without uh, alluding to what we're talking about more, let's dive into it. Let's see which friends kicking off today's show for us. This is Andy from Derby, Vermont. I just like hanging out and chatting about the news. That's why I tune in to money with friends. Hey, Joe, what's the big idea? Our headline uh, today about 401k plan participants and sponsors is from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors. This is the website for people who run pension funds, 401k funds, that type of thing. This is written by Ted Godbout. Uh, the piece is, here's where 401k plan sponsors and participants agree and disagree. A national survey of both plan sponsors and plan participants reveals several key points of agreement and disagreement between the two constituencies. I thought, Bobby, we'll peel these off maybe one at a time and... Um, and we'll see what we think about these disagreements. American Century Investments Survey of Retirement Plan Sponsors and Participants finds, among other things, the plan sponsors and participants are on the same page about debt being the primary barrier to saving, but their views on risk, preferred levels of employer involvement, and the importance of ESG offerings, we'll talk about that here in just a second, were much more varied. For example... Although 40% of retirement plan sponsors believe market risk is the most important factor in target date investments, 41% of American workers are much more worried about longevity risk and running out of money in retirement, according to the study. Employee's single biggest fear is running out of money in retirement, notes Diane Gallagher, American Century Investments Vice President, Value Add. Let's stop. Let's stop right yeah. there. Usually, I put that in bold, that, that little paragraph you just read. Well, yeah, because usually all, all that I see in the certified financial planner channels, like the industry rag stuff, are professionals talking about longevity. I never hear 
uh, the the public facing places, you know, the places we look at all the time, Market Watch, Kiplinger, those places really talk about longevity risk, but people are really, really worried about it. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. And it's interesting because people talk about target date funds, but the truth is, what if you don't know your target date really? Because that is evolving so much. We've got this old notion that it's 65. You can get social security as early as 62, but really it's so up in the air at this point. You don't know. I mean, there's data that shows people, um, you know, someone born in the last decade could live to be 132. That's really long. I mean, should we even be discussing retiring at 65 if you're going to be living that long at the time? I don't I don't know what the life expectancy was. Maybe we should have looked this up well, when they you- decided 65 was the arbitrary number. But target date funds, what's the target? Well, that's the thing is even if you retire at 62, 62 might not be the target. And it certainly isn't the target for all your money. I mean, that's a big problem I have with target date funds is you take less risk way too soon. Um, yeah. So you retire at 62. Maybe you've got other money in other places that you spend till 70, 70, you turn on, uh, you turn on social security. Let's say you wait, uh, and take it late. Maybe, maybe you do that. And then you still need less money. Maybe your target date for some of your money is 75. Exactly. And I think that people need to be more realistic about the concept of continuing to work. It's as simple as that. Well, it sure seems to me differently. You may not work in the same kind of job, there's so many different options available, but to not have income and have any, I mean, the re, realistically, I don't think the concept of retirement was set up to support you for 40 years after working for 40 years. That's kind of bananas when you think about it that way. Well, Proportionate to your life, the percentages of your life that you're not yeah. generating income. According to this study, though, people in retirement plans thinking about that a lot more. What I was surprised by isn't people not thinking about it. I was surprised by the fact that, that em- employers are much more into the um, how much risk is the market taking game than the average person is. Like what we've seen lately with this market getting choppy again is, I don't know about you, Bobby, but when I'm on these online groups, person after person trying to blow up their strategy, should I start taking less risk? Should I start backing down my risk? Should I wait for this downturn to, to, to come around? No. Hello. To their credit, so we did do an Instagram poll on the money... With uh, Money Friends Pod is our handle on Instagram, and the results did show. I believe it was something like eighty-seven percent. I don't know if I can get that up because I turned my phone off, but it was the vast majority of the people that answered our poll, and it was a, it was a good number of, of respondents did say they were keeping their cool, and only a very small percentage were quote get. I think it was getting nervous. So our audience, I think, uh, yeah. was pretty chill. Yeah. Well, and I also think though. I mean, look at who. Uh, a show like this attracts versus <laughs> versus the larger the larger uh, population. But let's let's talk about this. Uh, the next thing on here is uh, uh, where was I at? I'm right here. Findings from the plan sponsor portion also show that more than sixty percent of plan sponsors. These are, by the way, the companies that have the four hundred one k plan. Uh, 60% of sponsors were more concerned about their fiduciary liability now than ever before. And seven of 10 say that their advisor, meaning Fidelity, let's say that the 401k is run by Fidelity or Vanguard or some of T-Roll Price, some other company, um, American Century did the study, whoever, uh, that they are seven out of 10 say that, that those companies that they've hired on to run the thing are currently doing their most important duty, investment selection and monitoring. What's more, nearly 96% of plan sponsors report they're at least somewhat satisfied 
with their advisors. So for people running 401k plans, more interested in ever in making sure that those investment choices inside a 401k are suitable for the people inside of that plan. That's good news. That is good news. Um, I hope it's not a blind trust that not, not the, the literal blind trust, but I hope they're not yeah. trusting in the wrong way because sometimes they're not watching um, the expenses and it's important for employees. If you have a big plan to, you can just ask or look it up, you know, what you're, what they're paying them. It should be something in line with the norm. But I do like the fact that they want the professional help. I think that is a good thing that they're taking it seriously and that they value um, making sure that things are done in the best possible way. But it's interesting that people don't seem to value it as much. I mean, you should go on. Yeah. Uh, match. Let, let's talk about match first. Okay, yeah. uh, participants express strong support for a company match over a higher salary. People wanted a match on their 401k over being able to bring home more money in general. When asked whether they would either take a 100% match or 3% of their retirement plan contributions or a 3% higher salary, 76% of pre-retirees said they'd take that match. This finding held true even for participants who were younger, 25 to 54, where 63% said that they'd take the match. What's more, these findings were nearly consistent when given the option of a 6% match or 6% higher salary, with 77% of people saying they'd take the higher match. Uh, people really... Why do you think that is? I think, I think people know. People know that if they hide money from themselves... And they, they know if you put it in front of you, you're going to eat it, right? If, if you put a dollar in front of me and you put it in my wallet, I know I'm going to spend it. If you hide it from me and it automatically goes in the 401k and it's one less thing I have to worry about. Fantastic. Auto, people get that automating their money works. It's taking the time to get it set up. I think that's the barrier. I would agree with that. I also think that people appreciate that the 401ks, um, whether it's a Roth 401k or regular 401k, do have tax advantages. That may not be the first reason. I think the reason that you say is the primary reason, but an added benefit of it coming going into a retirement account that is tax advantage is just that. Yeah, they, it says uh, nudge welcomed additional findings show plan sponsors view of the level of help participants desire also differed from reality. Only 14% of younger plan participants wanted employers to, quote, leave them alone. Only 14%. 18% of older plan participants felt the same way. Plan sponsors, however, thought that 28% of participants want to be left alone. And yet more than 80% of those people wanted at least a slight nudge from their employer. So where employers are like, I'm going to let people decide themselves. People want their employer to point out how to use these plans better. I like that too. I like that too. I think people like to have reminders. People want to make sure that they don't miss out on a corporate benefit, especially one that is as important and essential to their future as this one. And these plans very often, if it's a match, I mean, that's free money. You can't make that much. You can't make a hundred percent in the stock. Well, who knows, but you probably can't make a hundred percent in the stock market as easily as you can by getting a company match. It's pretty much a guaranteed hundred percent. And, uh, people like that. People want that. Uh, uh, ESG, uh, socially responsible investments, what ESG stands for is eluding me. We do this live. Uh, I will tell you, I actually looked that up. It's environmental, <laughs> yes. social, and government. Yeah. I was going to say, we do this live in front sure of a Facebook audience that I had it right in front of me and I lost it there. So if you want to watch, uh, Joe just crumble on getting his, uh, his ESG, right. But yeah, these are socially responsible investment strategies and, um, a lot of talk about socially responsible investments, ESG strategies. And also, by the way, Bobby, 
Other studies have shown that these types of investments, where even a lot of advisors are looking at 10 and 15 years ago, when these investments sounded good, but when you actually dove into if the investment returns were there or not, they usually weren't. Not the case anymore, by the way. You look at a lot of ESG investments, not only are they doing whatever they they uh, uh, purportedly want to do to help uh, society, in, environment, whatever it might be, they also are, are bringing home the returns for participants. So a lot of changes there. But ESG, the study reveals the importance of offering ESG options and plans vary between plan sponsors and participants. Nearly all plan sponsors who offered or were considering offering ESG investments believe their participants would be interested. And two-thirds of sponsors say their plan advisors currently or should be recommending ESG solution. That said, and by the way, this is the same thing we're seeing in the marketplace. Only 37% of participants actually express some interest in them. A uh, lot, lot less, a uh, lot fewer people. You see this all the time where people think, oh, a lot of people are going to want ESG investments. And it's not like salads at McDonald's, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of fast food restaurants, they try to sell really healthy things. And at the end of the day, people want what they want. And they may say, absolutely, I want healthier options. I want better options or things I'll feel better about. And when it comes down to it, it's just not there, which is disappointing. I do think, though, that the actual companies that are behind the stocks are evolving in to cater to generations that are coming up that are more interested in socially responsible corporate practices. And therefore this will evolve to be um, more lucrative in the, in the future because it's so many companies are paying attention to it and more companies will fall into that basket. Yeah. Well, and I also think that this comes back to a little bit of what I mentioned earlier that especially among older employers, I don't have data on this, I just know that before I got into financial media, when I was a financial planner, and it's been over a decade since I did that job, when I was a financial planner, ESG investments, socially responsible investments just didn't perform. The performance mm-hmm. wasn't there to, 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 uh, to, to make it um, exciting to talk about. I mean, the, the mission was always exciting to talk about. Don't get me wrong. But then you'd look at the difference between that and just a regular S&P 500 fund. And you go, well, maybe I should go get involved with my hands instead of with my investment portfolio. Um, So it really depended on the person, but that's not the case anymore. So I think part of it is still, I believe with older people, maybe it's more like what I felt before I looked at the data that, yeah, yeah, it sounds nice. No, thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll help out a different way. I think you're onto something. I also think younger people are more willing to pay more money for the same product if it's produced in an environmentally friendly way or has ingredients that it feels are better for them or produced in a more humane way. And that is something that it just wasn't talked about until the last few years. And so, again, it it may flow through to these companies, but I do think you're correct that there is a generational change in how where this falls in the pecking order of important uh, metrics. Uh, last year, and this is not surprising to me, uh, is shifting attitudes. Not surprisingly, Ted writes, more than 85% of employees have at least a little regret about not doing a better job saving retirement, while 20% express a great deal of regret. They, their top overall regret is not saving more. Seven out of 10 employees uh, say they did not save enough in the first five years of their career. 
Nearly all workers agreed their workplace retirement savings plan is one of the most important benefits their employer offers. I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Yeah, and I think the first five years is is really essential. And that goes back to the theme that they were talking about earlier in the piece, that people do want to get that nudge. And especially the newest workers do need that nudge, maybe more than anyone. They may kind of have a vague idea. They've heard about 401ks. They've heard about um, Roth IRAs and so on. But to actually understand the mechanics of not just opening it, but then putting the money in and then putting, making sure the money is in an actual investment, not just in there, um, is really important. So that communication um, is everything. I think uh, takeaway. My takeaway, I saved way too much for retirement, said no one ever. (laughs) (laughs) I think my, my, I had a different takeaway, but my takeaway is going to be ditto. Correct. No, do your yes. takeaway. All right. No, that's a that's a great takeaway. That's good. All right. Let's do this headline. This is the headline. So I chose this headline. Half of young Americans say college is no longer necessary. This is so I found this in the New York Post, which as everyone in New York knows is the we all are obsessed with the New York Post here in New York City, but it actually originated in MarketWatch. So we want to give MarketWatch the credit for it. It is by James Wellemeyer. In the spring of her senior year of high school, Malavika Vivek had four choices, Caltech, UC Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, or solutions architect at software company Avasoft. She chose Avasoft. Vivek had been working for the company part-time while at a magnet engineering-focused high school in Edison, New Jersey. When she was offered a full-time position, she couldn't pass up the opportunity. Quote from her, I definitely thought about going to college because those schools are all really good. But in the end, I knew I would learn more discovering things on my own and working in the real world. At 19 years old, she belongs to Generation Z. And while her experience isn't yet common, Gen Z is becoming more open to doing college differently or not going at all, according to a new study by TD Ameritrade. The study surveyed 3,000 U.S. teens and adults, including approximately 1,000 Gen Zs and 1,000 young millennials, and then parents age 30 to 60. I don't know what 30-year-olds have kids going to college, but okay. About one in five Gen Z and young millennials say they may choose not to go to college. Many others see a less conventional path through education as a good idea. Over 30% of Gen Z and 18% of young millennials say they have considered taking a gap year between high school and college. What's more, 89% of Gen Z, along with nearly 79% of young millennials, have considered an education path that looks different from a four-year degree directly out of high school. That is up for millennials, 18% from 2017. They weren't even asking the Gen Zers then. Um, And it goes on from there. Um, I just want to read one more paragraph before we discuss. One reason for the shift away from college education is student debt. No surprise there. The average borrower now leaves college with about $37,000 of loan debt, up from about $10,000 10 years ago. Outstanding student debt owed by all borrowers reached $1.5 trillion in 2018. That is nearly three times as high, three times as high as the collective $600 billion owed one decade prior. Just over one in four young millennials say they are delaying college due to the cost, according to that study. And that's up 7%. Um, 73% of Gen Zers, one more, would choose a less expensive college to avoid debt. 73%. That is huge. They're looking at price tags, Joe. 
Yeah, well, and you know what? I don't think this is even just about the price tag. I mean, we can dive into that, but here's what I like. This idea of a gap year, I think, is a fantastic idea because when I first went to college, I had no idea why I was in college. I was in college because that's what you did, right? And so, um, and I, we, we had somebody on our Stacking Benjamin show a few years ago talk about this, and I totally agreed with her. Uh, when she said, when she was hiring people, she ran a big uh, PR firm. And when they were hiring people, they would see that people that had taken time off were, were, and then went to college, had a much better foothold in reality and about what the working world was like. What's funny is after she was on the show, uh, I, fo- I followed up and looked at studies. Studies proved that this woman was absolutely correct. People who take a gap year get through school more quickly. They get through school with better grades, and they often then are able to much more directly apply what they learned in school back to their career for a much more uh, uh, fast glide path to applying that money to higher wages. So this idea of a gap year before you go, I think, um, helps you make the, helps you make that laser sharper. So you get in, you get out, and you get it done. I mean, you know, um, some people I know love being career students, and nothing nothing wrong with that. But I think for most people, if you are going to college, you don't want to be a career student. Use it as a tool. I could not agree more. Obviously, as some of our listeners know, my stepdaughter is very successful in her first job. And a lot of that is because she took a year. She went to college a year late. And so she has that maturity. And I see it already in her starting this first job, which we're very proud of her for. But she was able to get, I think, a much higher paying and better job having graduated, having had this one year in after her college, her first college graduate, her first, her high school graduation. I'm sorry. Yeah. After, after high school, she had a year and then she went to college. And having that extra year of maturity, I think, is priceless and really makes for a much more successful start in the working world. The other thing that's interesting here and the example, the anecdote at the top is a young woman that she's starting a job right away. But it goes on in the article to talk about how the year has not been as great as she may have thought because she's in a foreign country. She's not surrounded by her peers and you have the rest of your life to work. So I think she's realizing that there's sort of no end. Like you start your job and that's great because you're making money when other people aren't, but it just goes on from there. And there's a lot of things you learn in college that are just maturity and growing up and learning who you are. That said, there are a lot of other ways that she, first of all, she can just go back to college. This could be her gap year. She could go back after this job. She's clearly a smart young lady, but there are other resources for education these days. And you don't have to go to a traditional four-year college. And a lot of those were not available when you and I were going to school. No, that's right. We do this uh, live in front of a Facebook audience. If you want to hang out with us while we make the show, head to facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins. That's the Stacking Benjamins Facebook page. And uh, Lauren, who's hanging out here with us, has a great point that I totally agree with and want to uh, expand upon a little bit. Lauren says, your base level undergrad debt just continues to compound the longer you're in school, which creates that thought of, is this additional degree really going to add to my take-home and retirement income, or is it for intrinsic reasons solely? Now, there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with more education for intrinsic reasons. I know people that have done that, but to Lauren's point, getting into debt for more money there for, for, um, uh, intrinsic reasons, there really needs to be an ROI attached to it. I read something recently that I totally agree with. 
in the last two days I read this, I wish I remembered where, but, but I, but I don't, but, but, but so I'll just claim it, uh, which is this. I believe that, that, uh, the more debt you have, the more that holds you hostage to short-term decisions. So instead of being able to use that college degree to help you think about a long career and what's going to be best for your career, when you see these people that have six-figure debt that they have to pay off, they're not thinking about about um, 20 years from now and what the best move is to forward their career. Their cash flow, Bobby, in a lot of cases becomes so tight they become the perfect person working in a bigger machine. Somebody that's not going to question the machine. They're going to show up to work every day and just work, help somebody else get toward their goals instead of helping themselves get toward their goals. They show up to work every day because they need the cash right now and they don't have time to think about the future, which is a horrible way to live. It is a horrible way to live. What I do think is good is that we are continuing to have, we're starting to have more discussions about the ROI and some of our comments in our in our Facebook audience are pointing to that, that not all college degrees are equal. There are certain majors that you can go and, and you can major in something that sounds lovely, but a philosophy major may not be the best path to economic freedom compared to say a finance major or an economics major or something that's going to lead to a higher paying jobs. It, you really need to be paying attention to what your degree will be. And I'll be honest, nobody talked to me when I was in college about a communications degree. They just said, oh, great, you're going, you know, I went to a very good college and I, had a communi- I have a communications degree. And um, later on, very recently, I now have a CFP, but I really was not cognizant as a college student of the ROI and no. where that was going to come from. I did, I did specifically go into business journalism because I wanted to be a journalist. I did choose business because the salaries were higher. I was aware of that once I got out. It was pretty clear that going the local news route where you make pennies. A lot of local news people that I talk to um, often have second jobs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rent. Literally yeah, 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 so yeah. little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My job in the New York metro area, which is, you know, I started at CNBC. It, it paid pretty well, pretty quickly. I was able to move up quickly and I was able to make a reasonable salary for media pretty quickly because again, it was business news and that's a specialty that pays more. And so it's important that even if you do have a degree that in a major that is not necessarily directly obvious, you look for the pockets of the industry that are going to pay more. Where's the demand? Where can I go where there's a niche for me that they're going to pay a premium for my expertise with whatever degree I have? I, you know, I think about this though. And I also think if there's a time to dream in your life, it is when you're young but but being completely wrapped up in a fantasy land dream and not doing any ROI calculation is, I think, a huge mistake. I mean, my degree was in creative writing, which is why I became a financial planner, because of the fact that I was either going to have to scramble and do something different, become the next great American novelist, or I was going to be a barista. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those career paths. It's just that my degree, the applicable end of my degree was I was going to teach writing or I was going to be a writer. I ended up, by the way, toward the end of my my college experience, because it took me a long time because I was paying my own way through, I ended up morphing it. I took a lot of PR classes, a lot of advertising classes. I also ended up taking a lot of classes in philosophy and logic, which I have to say, all of those and my ability to write 
helped me a ton today and helped me in helping people choose financial instruments. And I was surprised, by the way, by the number of people that have English degrees that are in the financial community. There's a lot of us. There's a ton. But was I thinking about that then? No. Um, And I... I, it's one thing to be, but you're, you're, you're amplifying my point that you can be an English major, you can be a philosophy major, but you have to find the career path where you can utilize yes. that in a way that also yes. leads to income. Yes. That's the point. You can't yes. just say, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to sit home and, and write for free and publish in prestigious journals sure. and hope money goes my way. No, the only thing I'm pushing back on, and you didn't say this, I'm just pushing it back <laughs> on people listening, which is... I also don't like, though, this idea of it all being ROI. Don't spend your life doing stuff you don't want to do just because there's an ROI. When I see somebody getting into podcasting and I'm in one of these podcasting areas and they're like, so how do I make a bunch of money from podcasting? (laughs) Number one, that's laughable. (laughs) That is incredibly hilarious because this is not the money making place. Have some, but, But getting into any any area just because it pays a lot. I don't know. I don't know. It's, we got a lot of comments here. It's very difficult. We, Dylan, Dylan's making a nice comment here because he's agreeing with me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Dylan says, uh, riches in the niches. I make uh, one and a half to two times many my age in my field by niching down. And by the way, niching, as you know, is is more fun, Bobby, because you're working yeah. with, with a more specific group of people. You can dive deeper into those issues have a lot more fun there. Like I worked with Chrysler engineers and Microsoft employees in our local office. That was probably, well, and people at the local TV station, but I ended up knowing so much about their benefits and about their culture. It was almost like I worked there part-time. Like I knew what was going on internally. It was so much more fun having a niche. I wanted to talk though about, about, uh, something Lauren said earlier, which is, uh, uh, she was she was talking about how for her she is uh, where is it oh she's in the final stages of completing her PhD and has mm-hmm. to stay as somebody who serves in the field of education it won't significantly add to her take home she's been teaching at the undergraduate level for years and it's really just because she wants it for her so doing it for you fantastic doing it for Eyes you open. yeah and debt though is a whole different that's a whole different story. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with doing it for you as long as you go in with open eyes, understanding, you know, what the economics will be, because what you don't want to do is have a degree that you just feel good about having for the sake of having it. But then, as Joe talked about, being so overburdened by debt that you can't achieve your financial goals. I like this idea that Bill brings up, which is uh, college is still a great growth and developmental model, but should be hybridized out of its industrial brick and mortar roots and evolve into a cost effective more nimble global virtual and face-to-face classroom experience that never really ends. What's interesting, Bill, being a guy who nearly went back into education after I was a financial planner, uh, the job that they're doing in, uh, in kindergarten through the elementary school years, generally to fifth and sixth grade, you look at those classrooms, Bobby, they're, they're much more, uh, less focused on a single topic. They meld topics together like they do in real life. Like I, I thought that math had nothing to do with English, so it would have nothing to do with my career. But you, math is in everything. 
And these these topics are not like they are in high school. You don't study something for 45 minutes, ring a bell, and then go to the next thing. They always overlap. And elementary school gets that right. But then in high school, we go right back to this uh, industrial age model that Bill's talking about. We ring a bell like Pavlov's dog. Stop thinking about that. You can't get interested in a topic because the second you start to get interested, we're going to go to the next thing. It's horrible. And college continues compartmentalizing. But I'll go a step further than this, Bill. I think relying on somebody else to create your lifetime curriculum is a mistake. Like, let's blow up the whole college model completely and say, to get where I want to go, who are the people that teach that? And how do I build an education program that will serve me for that? Like, if I start a job and I fail at my job because my manager failed to train me, I think a lot of the responsibility still lies on you. Why do you go to work waiting for somebody else to make you great? Why don't you go into work having self-educated to be the best person at that job, no matter what it is that you could possibly be? Design it yourself. Exactly. And there's so many more resources now than there used to be. And I do think a lot of schools are evolving, as you say, at all levels. I think there's a lot of resources the tradition, though, is still this four-year degree that we're sort of mentally locked into. And it will be interesting to see how that evolves because it is still, you know, right now, I guess I call it a seller's market because I feel the universities have a lot more power because they're kind of just charging whatever they want. But we'll see if they really get a generational pushback if they start changing their ways. And maybe the cost will be different in some ways. I don't know how much is so much locked in infrastructure to their costs. But I think that they may get more pushback than they expect from these Gen Z. Uh, based on these numbers, yeah. it, it looks like People it may just not want to have it anymore. Man, I hope so. I really yeah. hope so. I think and I think there's more awareness that the parents are paying, but the kids are paying and the kids don't want that debt that you talk about. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, is that your takeaway? No, my takeaway. Hold on. You do yours first. I did mine first last time. Well, my takeaway was built in that, uh, God bless America rant I just did, which is, which is don't wait for somebody else to design your curriculum. The idea of a gap year, the idea of, of, uh, lifelong training and lifelong learning much better than this idea of college or no college, but take responsibility for your education and, um, and help your kids do the same. I mean, asking an 18 year old to make a lot of these decisions, very difficult. So as a parent, or as a as a uncle or an aunt or an interested person in the community, help younger people make these decisions better than just the old go to college or else. I think that's uh, my takeaway. Very well said. Mine is similar. I basically think that this is a reality check. Most job training, most actual job training happens on the job or through training that happens tied to the job. And technology has really changed the game. We can learn so much on our own. We just need the motivation. That's a great takeaway. I think I like Dylan's, which is Bobby's takeaway is Dylan's always right because I agreed with her. Thank you, Dylan. I appreciate that. <laughs> we love our Facebook audience. It is, it is so fun. Uh, something else I think is fun. Your results may vary, but I really like this thing called Acre Trader. Bobby, you familiar with Acre Trader? I am familiar with it. I like, I like a- the video. <laughs> I, I, I like the video also because it does a good job of explaining something that a lot of people don't know a lot about, and that's investing in farmland. Now, I'll tell you, if you don't get the idea of investing in farmland, even after uh, the video, don't think, well, Joe and Bobby like it, so I should do it. No, uh, invest in things that you understand. 
I like farmland because I grew up in farm country in Southwest Michigan. And I'll tell you, when you look at farmland versus stocks, bonds, other types of real estate and cash savings, there are a lot of check marks in the plus column for farmland. So alongside this idea that we have this rapidly growing global population and demand for food, you also have fewer and fewer farms all the time. That makes the land even more valuable over time. And also uh, this idea of attractive cash flow because of the fact that you are not a farmer, you're just a landlord for farmers, you get a yearly check from the farmer uh, based on the amount of the farm that you own. So the cool thing is if you go to acretrader.com forward slash MWF, you can take a look at the farms that they're the fields they're purchasing now. Decide which ones that you want to be involved in. You have to be an accredited investor. And the reason for that, and look up what an accredited investor means, but the reason for that is because some of your money is locked up for a period of time. It's like any real estate investment. If you go buy a rental house, you can't sell off one of the rooms just because you want to take your family to Disney World. You can't do it. So you have to have assets in other places and then round it out with something like AcreTrader. But for more, head to uh, AcreTrader.com forward slash MWF. And that's how they support the show is you using our link. So if you are going to check it out, please use our link to do so. And that keeps us bringing money with friends to you. So thanks to you and thanks to AcreTrader. All right. Thanks to our Facebook friends. You're getting a lot of uh, compliments today. From our, from our Facebook audience, Joe. They love you. Because everybody knows if they listen to Stacky Benjamins, and you know this, Bobby, transitions are not my specialty. So thank you very much. That's very nice. All right. Time for this thing we call the big idea. That's where Bobby and I, for the first time ever, share our takeaway that combines both of these topics. So how are we going to talk about college maybe not being relevant with this uh, other idea of 401k plan participants and sponsors maybe not being on the same page about what the best aspects are of a retirement plan. What do you think, Bobby? You want to go first? Sure. I think we're talking about changing and evolving generational attitudes and the impact of information. Both of these stories have split opinions on some pretty big issues. For college, it is the younger people, especially Gen Z, who, by the way, have grown up in a very strong job market, something we didn't really talk about, that they, because they're used to a plethora of jobs being available, they may not feel as tied to needing college to get a good job. They say that maybe college isn't so important. Older parents who faced recessions and paid less for college, of course, and didn't have as much student debt, feel differently. Circumstances matter. And remember, younger people have access to education online that literally did not exist for their older counterparts. That is a new resource and a game changer. When it comes to retirement, while everyone was open to a nudge, pretty much the younger folks were even more so, maybe because the information resources that we have now, same theme, they just know more about the challenges that retirement funding will be for them. There's more data available for them than there was in previous generations. They also know that they have more ownership of their own future because for the most part, pensions are history. And so they know it is on them. Different perspectives, different metrics, but in the the end, very similar goals of financial independence and security for all of us. I love that. I love the fact that uh, I think especially when we talk about, um, you know, people that have been around a while, have some experience in this area. We we built our our uh, our list of favorites, our list of assumptions of how to do things 
based on a model that's changing, Bobby. So when you talk about there's all these things that are available now that weren't available before, like, the, you know, that's even a question in college campuses. Uh, Cheryl, my spouse's uncle, was a college professor, and he said he always had to get back out in the field because what they were doing in the field might be different than what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to always keep up. And I think we have so many more resources than we used to have yeah. for everyone, including professors. Yeah, nope. Uh, absolutely love that. Uh, my takeaway is is similar, and it's all about planning. You know, when whenever you're making a plan, the first thing you do is build the plan, but then the you ask yourself, where are the problems going to come in this plan? There's always something's always going to come up, and the plan's never going to work the way that you hope that it work. So the first thing you think about after your plan are the assumptions. What are the assumptions that you built into your plan that might be incorrect? And when you start challenging assumptions, that's when the good stuff happens. So in our first piece, we talked about 401k plans, 401k plan sponsors and 401k plan participants, not on the same page. Part of the reason is 401k plan participants think that sponsors know exactly what they want, meaning you think your HR department might know what you like about your 401k plan. Study shows that they don't. And HR people It's not all on the employees. You might not be asking the right questions to your employees about what might be there. 401k plans and retirement benefits get better when we challenge assumptions. And it's the same thing when this idea of college is brought to the table. The assumptions always been, at least it was in my house, you're going to college. Nobody, by the way, no male in my family went to college before me. But the assumption for my parents always was, Joe, you are headed to college. But why? We didn't ask why. We didn't ask what Joe's. What does Joe want to do? Where's Joe headed? And maybe a gap year for me would have been a better idea than spending seven years getting it together, only of which the last two years did I have any idea what the hell I wanted to do. Challenging the assumption that college was right for me or right for anybody, I think is uh, the common denominator here. And that's my big takeaway. Build the plan, Bobby, then challenge all the assumptions. I like that a lot. It was very, very deep. Very well thought out, Joe. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I challenged the assumption that I had any idea what it was and tried to make it better. I don't know. You did. And that was very well said. That, said. That's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today on Facebook. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Also, thanks to people who have left us a review either here or have hung out with us on our Instagram channel, taking some of our polls over there, people that visit the website. If you want to know what's coming up with the show, Bobby, where do people find us? We have a website. It is moneywithfriendspodcast.com moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can go into the schedule and you can see what tapings are happening, what times. And we also put in the story. Sometimes last minute we put in because we're deciding last minute, but we do put in links to the stories that are discussed on both the taping day and the day that the show first comes out. You also can see profiles of our money friend guest co-hosts on there. And uh, we're going to be revealing in just a month and a half a new crop that we're working on. That's, that's what I was going to say. Very important, interesting people coming soon. Yeah. We've got one more time around with our current friends who have definitely been phenomenal. Like all of our friends, I've been so excited by how vibrant the show has been. And also by the amount of, of, uh, of great discussions we bring that frankly, I mean, you and I bring fun discussions on our Saturday show here, but the stuff that they bring to the table with us, I'm like, I would have never thought about that. Just some great yeah. ideas. 
we wanted to bring in a lot of diverse and different perspectives. And I think we've really been doing that. And thank you. I see Lauren in our Facebook audience here is congratulating us on our being on this show, Money with Friends being a finalist for Best New Podcast of the Year for 2019 at the Plutus Awards, which will happen at FinCon. I'm I'm September. I'm really geeked about that. Uh, we no. worked we worked hard on the show. We're glad that you're with us. It's really thrilling. Just seeing our name among that group of uh, podcasts no. is is always a thrill. So, by the way, and we congratulations! Really June first, by the way. So we're we're really new with this show in this format. While we're on that, congratulations to you. While we're petting ourselves on the back, congratulations <laughs> to you, podcast of the year, financial grown up. You're one of the ten finalists in that category. That's awesome. A category that you have won twice, and therefore you are not <laughs> eligible for for stacking Benjamins. Let me mention. Yes. No. I <laughs> and have. we're going head to head for the uh, best investing podcast. Yeah, and and <laughs> and uh, that'll be interesting. We'll probably beat you in that one, but that's okay. That'll be fine. Uh, we'll see about that. I'm. We'll I like see about that. I like smack but talk. But stacking Benjamins and financial grown up were both uh, are both finalists among five, only among five. Um, for best investing podcast. So please check out our other shows. Watch, uh, go tune into Stacking Benjamins and uh, Financial Grown Up when you have a chance. Some fun stuff. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Thanks again to everybody. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is the amazing Steve Stewart. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends. <laughs>